0: the conditions, the loading conditions, that we have to satisfy for the design of our structure is completely different. That allows us to not only have an extremely lightweight structure, it allows us to entertain manufacturing methodologies that are significantly cheaper than what it usually takes to manufacture the rocket body tube or the rocket airframe and other components of the rocket. And these are all savings that we can pass on to our customers.
1: Welcome to Making It in Ontario, the official podcast of the Trillium Network for Advanced Manufacturing. I'm your host, Nick Persicilli, and in this episode, I speak with Canada's first orbital-class rocket manufacturer, SpaceRide. My guest is the company's co-founder and CEO, Saurabh Hagigat. Saurabh and his wife, Sarnaz Safari, the other co-founder and chief operating officer, founded the company back in 2018 with lofty ambitions of getting Canada domestic access to orbit. Canada's history in space is quite impressive, and we're no strangers to low-Earth orbit. Most famously, we can claim bragging rights to one of the hardest-working appendages in space today, the Canadarm. And that doesn't even mention our technology contributions to satellite manufacturing in general, so no, we're no strangers to space. But we've always had to hitch a ride on someone else's rocket, on someone else's schedule, paying their prices. And as Sorab explains in the episode, these timetables can dramatically affect the pace and quality of innovation. See, if you have an idea you want to put into orbit today, you may be looking at a waiting period of a few years before a spot opens up for you. Currently, it's a complex scheduling process, which Sorab explains in the episode much better than I can now, but suffice to say... If you want to develop your own presence in orbit, you need domestic access to space. And that's what they're doing. But what's most interesting is the way they're going about getting things to orbit. But first some math. In order to get something, anything, to stay in what rocket scientists call LEO or low-Earth orbit, you need to accelerate that thing to just under 8 kilometers per second. That's per second. No object can move through our atmosphere at that speed because physics— Getting out of the lower atmosphere historically has been the costliest, deadliest, and most astoundingly wasteful part of space travel. And if anyone is interested in going down an internet rabbit hole, do a Google search on the term Max-Q. Finding solutions to this problem has usually involved finding new ways of creating more power. But of course that means more cost, a more expensive rocket, and an increased risk of problems. So how does space ride completely avoid the challenges of the lower atmosphere? With a balloon. A simple balloon. By floating their rocket above 99% of the atmosphere and launching from there, they're able to build a rocket optimized to work in space. When you don't have to build a rocket to withstand the incredible dynamic pressures one faces getting off the ground, it brings your costs down considerably. You can run vacuum-optimized rocket engines, which are far more efficient than sea-level rocket engines, again reducing costs. So, getting Canada access to low-Earth orbit is a giant leap for Ontario's advanced manufacturing ecosystem. However, while Sorab is opening the doors to Canadian space exploration, he also has plans of his own of what he wants to put into low-Earth orbit and beyond. Have a listen and learn how these orbital-class rockets are being made in Ontario. So, back when I first, first, first started at Trillium, this is the episode I was dying to do. It's the episode about space access, Canadian space access, and I am here at Space Ride. And I am speeding with Speedy. <laughs> See? Errors happen all the time. I am speaking with a new friend of mine. Sir, would you please introduce yourself?
0: Hi, this is Sora Hegiget, CEO of SpaceRide.
1: Thank you very much for chatting with me today and for letting us for for letting us into your facility. So I'm sitting in Canada's first rocket factory, aren't I? Yes, you are. That's fantastic. So I'm an amateur space person, so Sarhab, rather than me getting a bunch of things wrong, why don't you introduce us to Space Ride? What uh, what can you tell us about SpaceRide?
0: SpaceRide is provider of on-demand, frequent, and affordable access to space near and far. From low earth orbit to lunar orbit, we cover it all by offering an on demand access that promotes innovation in space so
1: canada is pretty well known as a manufacturing hub i mean we've we've been building cars for a while not our own but we've been building cars we've been building planes trains and things like that and now ontario and canada now have access to space which i think is absolutely fantastic but SpaceRide has a very unique way of getting there aside from the fact that you have an idea for what you're going to do once you're there let's talk about how you're going to get your your tools up there tell us a little bit about your process
0: so it starts on the ground by using a high-altitude stratospheric balloon, which is connected to a so-called rocket carrier, flying spider. It's like a giant metallic spider, and that is connected to our rocket, rider balloon takes rocket carrier and rocket up to target altitude of 30 kilometers, and that's where we are above 99% of the atmosphere. So we bypass the atmosphere traveling at low speed without creating a lot of aerodynamic drag or any stress on airframe. At that point, our algorithm determines the path that the rocket has to take because it's only when we end up at the target altitude that it's known what X and Y we are launching it from. Along the way, our smart algorithm, our smart rocket is determining what path it has to take to get to orbit. It keeps doing this calculation and recomputation until the moment that it gets to the target altitude. Rocket carrier then maneuvers to point the rocket in the right direction, starts the release and launch sequence. Rocket is released, ignited, and launched to space. It then follows the final trajectory that was calculated right prior to release and follows that to Get it to orbit It is a three stage rocket that we have developed And by doing this launch Above 99% of the atmosphere By bypassing dense layers of the atmosphere We do not incur any drag losses And by launching it horizontally We do not incur any gravitational losses And by launching it in vacuum condition We have our engines optimized for vacuum condition All stages of the rocket And combination of all these improved efficiencies allows us to have a small, yet very affordable rocket that we can offer rides, private rides to space at $250,000. It does not get cheaper than that.
1: There are some sports cars that cost more than that. (laughs) That's incredible. So let's give the listeners a bit of a rocket science 101 uh, discussion, because I, I know that I've nerded out pretty hard. Um, Let's talk about the challenges for space travel. Let's talk about the challenges of getting out of the lower atmosphere. Using the balloon to just get above the atmosphere, it's a uniquely Canadian solution to getting out of the atmosphere. Because if you think about it, in order to leave the Earth, you basically have to accelerate something the size of a building to faster than that of a bullet leaving a gun, right? Right. Let's talk about some of the challenges because you and I were chatting a little bit before. One of the terms we tossed around was max Q. Mm-hmm. Right? Tell us a little bit about tell us a little bit about what max Q is and why your rocket doesn't have to deal with it.
0: So max Q is when your rocket experiences the most aerodynamic loading on the body or airframe of the rocket, and that is the moment that usually rockets throttle down to travel a little bit slower in or basically reduce the stress on the body, on the structure, to go through that moment, that uh, period. And when you get above certain point, that density drops, then forces also drop. When we launch above the atmosphere, we are not concerned with Max-Q. The way we design our structure, the conditions, the loading conditions, that we have to satisfy for design of our structure is completely different. That allows us to not only have an extremely lightweight structure, it allows us to entertain manufacturing methodologies that are significantly cheaper than what it usually takes to manufacture the rocket body tube or the rocket airframe and other components of the rocket. And these are all savings that we can pass on to our customers.
1: I think that's absolutely fantastic. And like I said, it's it seems like a uniquely Canadian way. It's just like rather than trying to find a, a, a complex solution, you just kind of remove the problem, right?
0: I wish I could say it's... It's that simple? It's, <laughs> no, I wish I could say it's the Canadian way of doing it. <laughs> um, so launching a rocket from a balloon was done back in 50s. So really? it's not by any means a new idea. Okay. But... At the time it was just done to get rockets to higher elevation to do atmospheric research. Right. And it's only recently that we are doing this to put satellites into orbit. Right. So as much as I wanted to claim <laughs> this as the Canadian way to launch it to space, sadly I cannot do that. Gotcha.
1: Okay. So what can you tell me about the rocket? What can you tell me? I'm sure there's plenty so you can't.
0: I can tell you that Ryder right Rocket is a three-stage rocket. The first two stages are powered by a hybrid engine using liquid oxygen and paraffin wax. And the third stage is powered by an engine that I cannot disclose. It can put up to 150 kilograms into low-Earth orbit.
1: Help me do some math. How much would it cost to get 150 kilos to orbit using, let's say, a Falcon 9?
0: It depends. So, SpaceX advertises 200 kilos on a rideshare mission for, or up to 200 kilos for $1.1 million. The reality of the fact is, your satellite is rarely 200 kilos on the dot. So, your satellite is 50 kilos. You're still paying $1.1 million. Really? So, you are zero to 200. If you're going on a rideshare mission on SpaceX, 0 to 200 kilograms is 1.1 million dollars. Usually, you as a small sat launcher or someone who is taking a rideshare mission, you are not dealing with SpaceX directly. You have other costs which is usually passed on to you by the launch broker that you're dealing with
1: launch broker
0: yes so you can think of it as a travel agency there are companies that offer these services they buy uh, volume space from spacex and then they divide it and pass it along or sell it to different customers because as i said it's very rare for someone to have a 200 kilogram satellite and usually those companies charge far more than that rate so you may end up paying, for example, I don't know, $150,000 to launch a 6-kilogram satellite. To launch on SpaceX, A, you have to wait for the turn, which whenever it happens. And also, you have to see what sort of launch slot you get, depending on whether you want to pay for that $1.1 million and then do the integration and all that yourself, which adds on and still you need rings to separate, and all these things. Uh, or you work with a, a launch broker, which they do all the installation and basically interfacing with the vehicle for you, and they charge you for it. So in my
1: conversations with space Ride, you guys have, have often discussed the idea of accessing space has either been with a bus proverbially speaking, of course, not an a proverbial bus or a proverbial spa, uh, space sports car. Basically, it sounds to me like you're really throwing open the doors to space access for Canada.
0: So it's just not for Canada. So I used to work at cruise automation and I was an early engineer at cruise. And over two and a half years that I worked there, the state of technology from when I started, until the point that I left the company, was extremely different. It was day and night different. And self-driving problem is an extremely difficult problem. Now, you may ask yourself, how we're talking
1: about self-driving vehicles, right?
0: Yes, right. Okay. How a startup company manages to move that fast when it comes to technology development—that within two and a half years it can completely roam around uh, on public roads of San Francisco. How was that achieved? And that caught my attention that every day we go to work, we come up with a new idea, hardware or software. We develop that feature, put it in the car. By the end of the day, we go and test it on public roads of San Francisco, the exact environment that the system is intended to function in. Now you are a space company. You have all the funding secured. You have the idea. You know how to do it. From day that you start, until you have built the satellite, until you have booked the launch, until you have put your satellite on the vehicle, and it finally gets to an orbit, which is practically speaking impossible for it to be the exact orbit that you wanted, because you have to take one of the orbits that is available at the time. Maybe you wanted to go to 50-something degree uh, mid-inclination orbit. Does anyone go there? No. So you have to take the SSO because it's the only option available or polar or whatever the hell that is available at the time. By the time that you get to orbit, it, it is at least a year and a half to two years from the date that you started your project. So two years go by before you even have a signal from the spacecraft to see if the damn idea has any merits or not. In the other world that I came from, on a daily basis... You get feedback on the idea. And that is why innovation in space is slow. And that is exactly why we started right? to provide a platform for innovation in space and not just low Earth orbit. Because if we truly want to benefit from the vastness of outer space, from the material deposit that is there, from all the other benefits that we can gain, we need to go to the moon. We need to go to other Deep space missions. And I talked about LEO being difficult. Forget about deep space missions. Just last week or the week before, we had half a year is gone. We had the first worldwide launch to geostationary orbit. What if you come up with an idea that you can do it in geo? Then you are screwed. You cannot do anything because half a year is gone and you only had one launch opportunity to put it in geo. That's what I'm talking about, about opportunity not being there. And that is what we are offering. We are offering access to space. This is far beyond being a launch company. This is a space logistics and infrastructure company. We are offering on-demand, affordable, and frequent access to space. Because once you have these three, once you have something as simple as pulling your phone, taking your phone, out of your pocket and ordering an Uber car, hailing an Uber car to come to your footstep and get into the damn car without paying an arm and a leg for it, once we have that level of access to space, then we are talking about innovation.
1: That is incredible. When we just got the gigafactory for the battery plant, everyone was discussing how it was it kind of threw the doors open to potential innovation for electric vehicles, yes, but also electric other things. I feel as though what you've just described has also thrown the door open for all kinds of innovation that we haven't even thought
0: of yet. 100% because the whole point is for this to be what Shopify is for online shopping. How would I know what's in your what sort of a business you want to start? But if I give you the opportunity, if I give you the freedom to do it, Without you having to learn web development and figuring out how to manage transactions and whatnot, you can go creative. It's pandemic, I can sell masks. Tomorrow, it's June, I can sell pride flags. Some other time, another product. You can now, as a business owner, you can innovate, you can get creative, you can sell something that brings cash to your business. And if I offer you this access to space as a space inventor as someone who is capable of coming up with ideas or solution people can propose solutions and the cost of trying them in space it's not just the money cost it's the time cost if you get once every three years to do a deep space mission and you are that creative engineer who has an idea that might revolutionize what we are doing, that might offer a paradigm shift, because you are getting that opportunity once every three years, you are going to shut up and not discuss it to anyone because you do not want to be the person who came up with a crazy out-of-this-world idea that tanked a three-year mission in planning. So it's not just the cost of launch that people should understand. It's the cost that it goes into planning that mission it's the cost of innovation that we are not getting because that poor engineer or scientist or inventor is afraid of messing a mission that is once in a lifetime of a mission but if you can do 10 deep space missions a year you don't have to wait for a bus or you don't have to pay a lot for it and you can go to exact same orbit or place in space that is ideal for your application Then who cares if one out of 10 launches or one out of 10 missions that you're doing doesn't pan out exactly as you say. You get creative, you try ideas, and you develop things that is good for humanity.
1: What do you plan on doing with that access?
0: What can you tell me about that? So today everyone is talking about access to space. But that access to space as it is offered today is like a one-way ticket. I launch you to space you go and figure out what you want to do in space you're going to be placed in an orbit and in that orbit you can do something and that is it what we are offering is not only access to space but opportunity to roam around and the way we offer it is by designing and building our upper stage of our rocket such that after deploying the satellite or after doing the primary mission, it can be refueled and put into other missions, asked to do other tasks. And by doing so, not only you have recovered and reused your upper stage for other missions and other applications, but now you have moved from low Earth orbit to a translunar injection orbit, you have roamed around or in space. You can go into inject yourself into a lunar orbit. You can come back. You can transport things between the Earth and the moon. And that is a complete transportation system. It's not just about going there. It's not about just having a one-way ticket. It's about going there, moving there, coming back from there. And that is what we intend to offer. We are building a network of rockets, or better to say, the network of rockets, that is going to stay in orbit, stay operational, and offer continuous transportation. In this network of rockets, every launch that we do for a customer, we are going to add another asset to that network. Really? Every launch that I do for someone, an upper stage, a black bay, as we call it, is going to be added to that network, and will stay there, waiting until it is refueled, to be put into another task.
1: So, if the International Space Station theoretically needed to clean its windows, you could theoretically dial up a space ride robot satellite, come by, clean the window, and then be on its way. Obviously, you wouldn't clean the window, but like, is that what you're but talking? But that
0: would be the dream, basically. Yeah, the dream is. In space, you want to do things. We let you do it by providing the transportation. Let's change gears for a little
1: bit, just because I want to. I want to geek out a little bit. You said that your the the rider rocket uses a liquid oxygen and Oh uh, no, paraffin wax.
0: Paraffin wax.
1: Is this w- what kind of rocket is, it? is this? Like is it like a turbo pump or is it like a solid rocket booster with like kind of like the 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 Virgin it's, rocket or how does it work?
0: It's a hybrid engine. Uh. Hybrid is basically one of the fuel or oxidizer is in one phase and the other one is in a different phase. In our case, fuel, paraffin wax, is in solid phase and liquid oxygen, of course, is in liquid phase. And then you inject that into your fuel core, which is sitting inside your combustion chamber, and then you ignite it and then you light it and then it goes.
1: Is it throttleable? Yes, it is. Interesting. So it's like so it's like, it's like an SRB, but it can be throttled. Yes, and that similar is
0: similar to SRB. You can also control the angle of the nozzle. It's
1: a gimbaled nozzle.
0: Yes, and that is the only hybrid engine in the world that has this capability.
1: Wow. What can you tell me about the uh, specific impulse of this engine? So, actually, you know what? Before you answer it, let me ask you a different question. How is the specific impulse of this engine better? put to use in the upper atmosphere?
0: Okay, that's a question that I can answer better. Because we launch above 99% of the atmosphere, even stage one engines are equipped with a vacuum-optimized nozzle. And this allows to maximize the efficiency of our engine. We get very similar performance to Kerolox engines, at the end of the day, the same fuel. Paraffin, it's like solidified kerosene in composition mostly.
1: For anyone listening and who's wondering, um, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, rocket engines are usually optimized to either be fired at sea level or in the vacuum of space, correct?
0: Correct. And the one that you optimize for sea level condition, uh, you don't exactly optimize it for sea level because as you launch and you start going up then you lose efficiency so there is a sweet spot that you uh, optimize it for but you don't have maximum efficiency at any point because you constantly go up and your atmospheric condition changes as you go up and pressure drops so you never have your maximum efficiency throughout that first stage ride. And that's why first stage is usually equipped or blinked with a smaller nozzle. And then when you look at the upper stages, they have these ginormous no- nozzles. And for space ride, even stage one has big nozzles.
1: Yeah, because you can. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's talk about manufacturing for a minute here because we are here at your – this is a rocket manufacturing facility, correct? Correct. What can you tell me about how – you came from uh, the uh, the world of automation before. Do you have any experience with other manufacturing sectors?
0: My background is in guidance, navigation, and controls. And that's what I love. And I enjoy working on controls algorithms, on navigation algorithms, and writing code. And prior to starting SpaceRide, as I said, I uh, used to work at uh, Cruise Automation, uh, the self-driving car company in San Francisco. So
1: what can you tell me about this facility here?
0: So this is Canada's first rocket factory. I love that. And here we built our rocket, which we call it Rider. Our rocket carrier, which is called Flying Spider. And rocket's upper stage or kick stage is called Black Bay. And that is that network of rocket that stays in orbit.
1: What can you tell me about your path? Your per- let's talk about you for a minute here, because uh, before we hit roll, before we hit record on the microphones, we had a, you gave me a very interesting uh, story of you know how you got here. Because I think you're certainly one of the first people to do it, but I don't think you're going to be the last. So tell us how you got here from an academic perspective, a personal perspective. How did you get here?
0: An interesting journey. So. In 2012, I graduated from U of T. I got my Ph.D. in aerospace engineering, and I started looking for a job. And at the same time, throughout my studies, I had the idea that the path is to start a company. And the way I thought I had to start a company was to get my Ph.D., become a professor, start a research, and a spinoff of that research would be my company. And then when I finished my PhD, I thought that, okay, I want to go and work in the industry for a few years to also experience that. And although I found the job almost immediately, it was not the job that I really satisfied with or challenged with. And I kept looking. And at the time, I couldn't find any opportunity like what SpaceRite can offer to other folks today in Canada. So... I ended up moving to Cambridge, Massachusetts, started working at Mitsubishi Electric Research Lab. I worked on their autonomous train systems, on laser cutting and laser drilling systems, and looking into algorithms to squeeze every ounce of juice out of the same heart. Worked there for a few years, then moved to California and started working at cruise automation, as I said. Worked there for two and a half years as an early engineer, started working on their control systems and Uh, That one-man controls team that was me grew into more than 30 people that I managed by the time that I left the company. And of course, Cruise got acquired by General Motors for over $1 billion. And as an early engineer, I benefited from that financially. And as an early engineer, I experienced the growth of one of the most successful startups of all time. How to build a company, how to build a team, how to grow the team. All of these were extremely valuable experience that I gained. And at the same time, I had the idea of launching rockets from balloons since October of 2012. And this was back when Felix Baumgartner took a dive from that Red Bull balloon. I remember that. I had that idea, and I continuously monitored the status of space applications and space developments and I felt like although improvement is happening, although SpaceX is offering regular rides, and by then they were able to recover uh, and successfully land the first stage of Falcon 9, it felt like the same as before. And I also mentioned how Cruise was doing that extremely rapid development Because of the fact that we had access to the test environment, the the test capability. And one day I I sat and I thought to myself that, okay, I have this idea. I believe that this idea can revolutionize access to space. By providing that access to space, access to the space environment, we can be a platform for innovation in space. I experienced how innovation can be enhanced by having that access at cruise. I also have some financial support that I can put behind this idea. And that was the moment that I thought I have to move back to Canada and started in Canada. And I moved back to Canada, started Space Ride with Saharnas, which happens to be my partner in Space Ride and also in life. And four years later, You and I are talking, and we have Canada's first rocket factory operational. Wow.
1: Why come back to Canada? Why come back to Ontario? I'm glad you did.
0: It's a very personal question, and the answer is very personal, too. Okay. I'm an immigrant. I came to Canada, and I was given opportunities in Canada to study to gain experiences, to gain experience, to learn and develop skill sets, and become the engineer that I am today. And when I looked for a job, I could not find the job that I wanted. Although government pays for graduate studies, for professors to do research, to train people like me, many of those people like me cannot find their dream job or the job that they are trained for in Canada. And that's A, waste of money, and B, results in brain drain. And as I said, I ended up going to the U.S. At the same time, I love Canada. It's home, and I were given opportunities that I never had anywhere else. So if you love something, just not doing anything is the wrong answer. You have to act, because it doesn't stay the same if you don't act. If you like what you see, if you want it to get better, you have to do something. And my contribution to Canada is space right. Because space access is something that we need. is something that a sovereign nation like Canada requires to have. Because tomorrow, when sovereignty of polar regions, our northern territories becomes a serious matter, do you want to wait for SpaceX to launch your satellite for you to be able to monitor that? Or do you want to take control in your own hands and launch your own satellites? The answer is obvious to me. That's why I moved back to Canada, and that's why I'm doing space riding in Canada, to give opportunities to people like me that when 10 years ago I graduated from my PhD program, I didn't have. So today, if someone is looking for that opportunity, that opportunity is readily available. And B, to make sure that Canada has access, uninterrupted access to space, so we can launch our own assets, we can be in control of our own assets, and of course, do in-space development, as I explained, by building a network of rocket that is going to stay in space and stay operational.
1: Everything you've said sounds absolutely fantastic, and i got to know. And I know this is a difficult question to answer, but what sort of timelines are we looking at?
0: We will start our first commercial operation, or we will start our commercial operation in early 2024. And we will do, before the end of 2024, our first mission to the moon. That will be Space ride's first mission.
1: Canada's going to the moon?
0: Canada's going to the moon. And it is going to be space right going there first.
1: You heard it here, folks. Or Canada's going to the moon. Do you know what you're going to bring there? Is it just going to be a simple? Are you going to like leave a test machine, a test vehicle there? Or is it just so at
0: the moment I cannot get into the specifics of the mission? Okay. But it will be Black Bay going to the moon.
1: That's and that's one of your kick stages. So so.
0: Black Bay is the upper stage or kick stage of rockets. Right.
1: Okay. Wow. So we're in the factory here. We're going to take a tour of the factory in a sec, right? Okay, I can't wait for that. Um, Are there rockets back there now?
0: There are rockets. There are rocket engines. There are rocket structures. There is so many weird things back there. Wow.
1: I can't wait. And with that, Sorhap, thank you very much for chatting with me today. Thank you for opening the doors to your factory to me and thank you for opening the doors to orbit for the rest of the country and the province. Thank you for having me.